Uh, good morning, early service. Let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. There you go. That's a little better. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors. We're going to do a little family business here to get started. For the last 17 years, that's a really long time, for the last 17 years, Pastor Mark Warren has been a part-time pastor with a full-time commitment to Christ the King Church. And about three months ago, the elders of the church gave Mark uh, uh, the gift of a sabbatical for three months. While Mark was gone, one of the questions he was answering was, as he makes this last kind of final sprint that some of us are heading towards, trying to figure out how do we do those last seasons and chapters of ministry and work and all that stuff, Mark was answering the question, do I want to continue living in two worlds, doing Christ the King part-time and Mark Warren Associates part-time, or does God want me to push all in with Mark Warren Associates? Mark Warren Associates, it's not really a company, it's a ministry. Uh, Mark works with local business leaders, he helps people identify their gifts, and, and, and he's been doing this for many, many years, he's had a deep impact on our community. So Mark went away, and when he came back, we sat down and had the conversation, and when Mark Warren looks me in the eye and says, God has told me I'm supposed to push all in with Mark Warren Associates for this next season of my life, as much as I may not like that, I look at Mark and I say, okay, because I know this, Mark Warren is a godly man, and when he hears God, that's the way it is. And so Mark is going to be transitioning full-time into Mark Warren Associates. Now, the cool thing about that is uh, Mark Warren Associates is based in Linden, like right up north. So if you ever need to find Mark, you can just go to the windmill on Front Street. He's there. His wife, Krista, owns a beautiful little shop right next door called Surroundings. And the two of them are going to be close in proximity to each other, and they're going to continue to do that kind of a ministry. But Mark has been, a, we've been doing this together for 14 years. Not many pastors can say that. That we've been had that kind of a friendship and brotherhood for 14 years. And Mark is standing at the back, and we want to say thank you to him because we love him and honor him. Good deal. So you grab Mark afterwards and give him a great big hug. And like I said, he's not going far. He'll be around. And so uh, continue to enjoy good fellowship together. So I want to put a period at the end of that sentence so that nobody takes anything that I just said and transfers it over to our topic today. Okay, all right? So that's closed. Moving on to this next piece. So a few weeks ago, I returned from vacation and I made the mistake of opening my email box. I started reading an email that was, uh, came from Pastor Dave Browning, good friend of ours, who's uh, pastors down in the Skagit uh, group, has been uh, helping on our staff at different times here. The title of it was Deceived by a Friend. And every line that I read, every line that entered my eye gate, I experienced a very common sense truth about life, okay? This is in your outline this morning. The gap between my expectation and my reality is entirely composed of disappointment. Okay, If this is my expectation, and then this is my reality, everything in between is the level of disappointment that I have to deal with, and that truth applies to every situation in life. If I'm expecting sunshine, and I get rain, everything in between is that level of disappointment. If I go to a restaurant expecting that they're going to serve me filet mignon, and I find out the only thing on their menu is hot dogs, 
Everything in between is the level of disappointment I've got to deal with. If I go into my boss on a Monday morning expecting for him to give me a raise, and instead he says the word expenditure freeze, everything in between that, those two levels is my level of disappointment. If I expected a victory for the United States in the World Cup... My reality came in right here, even though I was expecting, you know, well, I don't know where my expectation was, but everything in between that gap is the level of disappointment that you simply have to navigate. So I'm reading these lines in my email box, and as I read, my gap get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, because I was reading a letter from Dave Browning about CTK Pakistan and our national leader over there, Pastor Shabazz. I've met Shabazz. He's been here in our building. We have sent people there to see and witness everything that was going on at CTK Pakistan. We've prayed for him here in the church, and we've prayed for Pakistan many times. When they have endured difficult seasons in their ministry, we have shed tears. We've cried out to God on his behalf. And yet, as I was reading that email, my disappointment gap was getting wider and wider and wider. So if you don't already know, one of the values that we hold very dear here at Christ the King is authenticity and transparency, which means this, we tell the truth even when it hurts, and then we walk through it together as a family, even though we may be deeply disappointed. So I'm going to set the record straight for us this morning as this story from Pakistan has unfolded. So as a church, several years ago, we prayed for a Pakistan pastor, Pastor David, not to be confused with David Browning, but Pastor David, who was shot by the Taliban in the compound around CTK, Pakistan. That was true. It happened. We prayed together because two girls from CTK, Pakistan were kidnapped by local terrorists. They were held for ransom. We prayed for their release. God granted that release, and we were blessed to hear that that's what happened. That was also true. As a church, we cried out to God with broken hearts when we heard that Shabazz's wife and infant daughter were murdered. That was not true. Shabazz's wife is alive, and they never had a child. We prayed, and some even gave financially to help when we were told that Shabazz had been kidnapped himself by the Taliban and held for ransom. That was also not true. And if you've never experienced the disappointment gap before in your life, you may be experiencing it right now. When I first read the email, I think I had a normal reaction in the first couple of moments. My humanity took over, which often does for some of us. And in my mind, this is what I thought. I'm never trusting anybody again. We're not going there. This doesn't work. I wondered, who did the background check on this guy? I started asking all different kinds of questions. Is our missions program really working? Why are we doing these things? How could we be deceived? I mean, we've had a long-standing relationship. I saw, I mean, we saw newspapers from the other side of the world that carried these stories in them. We did not know they were forgeries. Sometimes you just got to let it all out. And then God's Holy Spirit begins to tap you on the shoulder, on the corner of your soul. And through a friend, Scripture started flowing and God started talking. And this is what he said as I dealt with my gap between expectation and reality. God whispered, it does hurt when you get deceived, especially by a leader. 
So we all need to be reminded, no matter who your leader may be, you need to be reminded they are human and fallible. And that they can stumble as easily as anybody else, right? The expectation is 1 Corinthians 11, we're on one, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. That is the ideal. But the reality often is that people fall short, don't they? God said, you can build in every layer of accountability and safety known to man. But the truth is, there's no way that you can know if someone is living a secret life. We sent people there to see what was going on. Shabazz came here. And honestly... The fact that we're friends, that's, that makes the pain worse. But apparently this is not a new phenomenon. In fact, if you open your Bible to the book of Jude, verse 4, it says this. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and <clears throat> Lord. So apparently this is not a new phenomenon. God tapped me on the soul again and said, Grant, I want to remind you of something. Grace applies to everyone. Even when you feel wronged and you feel deceived, you need to remember, if there was God's grace available for you in your brokenness, that you need to learn how to respond in grace even when you're hurt. Romans 5.17, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. God reminded me again, Grant, this is how it works, all right? How you treat someone when they've sinned against you sends a message to every other sinner of which we are all one, sends a very clear message to how God's grace gets applied. And you learn one more time, grace is messy, but that's what saved us. God reminded me again, Grant, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus in this. Hebrews 12 too, but we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because honestly, to do anything else is to simply surrender to the distrust and the anger and the bitterness that may just settle in on top of our soul when we've been deceived. God said one more thing. He reminded me, Scripture says, you pray for those who hurt you. You bless and do not curse and watch yourself. Can I read you Galatians chapter 6, which is actually addressed to every one of us here today. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone among you is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But you watch yourself. Or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word would share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So verse 9, so let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's not get tired in doing the right thing. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family 
of believers. Well, when we found out what had happened in Pakistan, Pastor Todd and I had the, the wonderful job of having to pick up the phone and call every single person that gave financially in any way to Shabazz and what was happening in Pakistan. We couldn't call everybody that prayed because that would be all of you, all right? But we called those who had taken that step. And I'll tell you what, I was so blown away by the grace that came through those telephones. Most of them said, well, that's disappointing. That's really disappointing. But one guy that I talked to, he said, you know what? I'm all right. He said, in fact, you know what? He goes, I, I, I'm pretty good because this is the first time God ever told me to be obedient and do something, and I actually did it. <laughs> I actually did it. And another guy said, he goes, it's not my money anyway. It's not my money anyway. I gave it in good faith, and God told me to do it, and I went ahead and did it, and God's sovereign before I, had, before I gave it, and he'll be sovereign after I gave it, so I'm, I'm actually good. And I'm like, wow. Wow. It's a little different than the mindset that I listed in your program, right? Because here's my false belief. This has been my false belief for much of my life. People are disappointing, and God is disappointed, right? And we settle in there really quickly unless we hear what God has to say to us. That's kind of the answer, right? Don't trust anybody except for yourself. I hate to break it to you. You can't trust yourself either. It's not possible, right? Given every opportunity, we will do exactly the same thing. In fact, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know what the difference between Shabazz and many of us is? He got caught. But we all have that stuff, don't we? And Galatians warns us, just be careful, people. Just be careful, just be careful. But that's what happens. We say to ourselves, don't trust anybody. And then we develop a false narrative about God that basically says God is either sad or mad. I lived that for years. I thought that was the only response that Jesus ever had when it came to Fishbook. Right? There's Grant. God. Sad or mad. So this morning, what do you do with this? What do you do with it? Well, I'm going to challenge us as a church to shift our perspective, okay? It's absolutely true. People are going to disappoint you. I hate to break it to you. You will disappoint someone at some point in your life, okay? If you don't believe that, we have a class in denial that we need you to take very soon this fall, okay? But instead of turning inward, let's follow the example that comes from Scripture. And instead of turning inward with our disappointment, let's turn upward. King David of Israel dealt with disappointment. I mean, you can imagine, you're a shepherd boy, minding your own business, looking after the sheep. One day, a lion and a bear show up. It's not a good day, right? You're probably disappointed. Probably disappointed. Then you hear that there's some giant picking a fight with the nation of Israel, and nobody will stand up to him. So you show up because you figure, I'll go stand up to him. But you show up, and you're looking at the Israelite army going, that's disappointing. And none of you will stand up to this guy. And then the, 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 the giant shows up and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn you into bird food, kid. That's a little disappointing too. David wins. You know, chalk went up for the good guys, but still he's living with it. David's promised a kingdom from a young age, and yet he spends most of his life running in between caves, hiding from a crazy king. I mean, when you got that promise in your back pocket and you spend your life running around cave to cave, that's disappointing. And then David becomes a peeping Tom. That's disappointing, right? 
And then he becomes a conspirator to commit murder. That's disappointing when the Bible tells us he's a man known after God, a man after God's own heart. And then David starts sleeping around, and that's disappointing. And then David gets called out by the prophet Nathan. Nathan sticks his bony finger in David's chest, takes his life at risk in that moment, and says, you're the man. And David's disappointed in himself. He's crushed. David comes back into alignment with God. He says, I'm going to build a house for God. I'm going to build a temple. And God says, no, you're not. Got blood on your hands, David. That's disappointing. And in the middle of all that, David finds time to write a song. Okay, just for the record, David did not write, nobody knows the troubles I've seen, okay? <laughs> it's not David, all right? Has anybody ever wondered where David found the time to write songs? I mean, the guys, if you look at his life, it's just all this stuff going on all the time, and yet he finds time to sit down and he puts... He puts quill to paper, and he writes these beautiful songs. So over the last couple of weeks, I found myself running to David's song, Psalm 62, because in that psalm, David teaches us what to do, and you're just kind of knocked over with disappointment. And in dealing with disappointment, David does what we've been doing for the past almost six months. Instead of focusing in on human disappointment, we've turned our eyes to figure out who God is. That's what David does in Psalm 62. He reminds himself who God is. And today, as all of us at various levels are dealing with some kind of disappointment, we're going to turn our faces to who God is. All right, so here it goes. Psalm 62. For the director of music, for Jeduthun, a psalm of David, verse 1. Truly my soul finds rest in God. Right away, David says, God is peace. Even when I'm deep in the gap of disappointment, my soul finds rest in the fact that God is sovereign. As much as I don't like the story, God is sovereign in Pakistan right now. God is sovereign at Christ the King in Bellingham in Whatcom County. God is sovereign over all. I don't like the situation, but God's not surprised with what's going on. God is keenly acquainted with human failure. We need to look no further than ourselves to know that. He knows what's going on because he knows that I can rest easy knowing that he knows. David goes on, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. So God is salvation. And what is happening around me does not remove my salvation because God saved my soul. Okay? Not my money, not my status, not my logic. God saved me. And while many parts of my life may be changing, the God who saved me when I didn't deserve it has not changed. Verse number two, truly he's my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. What is David saying? He's saying God is stable. My trust is shaken. My confidence in people is shaken. My ability to give generously is shaken. But under all of that movement, God has not moved because God is immovable. He doesn't shift even when circumstance around us seems like everything is moving. I mean, I love this fact. My will can't move God. My questions can't move God. My suspicion of people can't move God. The only thing that moved God was the lost, broken condition of my soul. And it moved him to sacrifice his life on a cross so that I could experience eternal life. David goes on, verse number three. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? 
Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. What's David saying? God is aware. God is aware. It's amazing to me. We think that we're sharing new information with God when we pour out our heart to him. Here's the reality. David is reminding God of something that God already knows. And it's good to pour out your heart that way. We're going to find that out just a little bit later on. But David's reminding us, God knows. He gets it. He understands your expectation and he understands your reality. And yet David says in verse number five, yes, my soul finds rest in God. Once again, he says, God is peace. One more time. In some translations, David actually commands his soul to rest. Some of you need to learn how to do that. Some of you need to learn how to look your soul in the eye and say, you need to simmer down. You need to relax. You need to rest easy in God. Because if you truly say that you trust God completely, then you should be at peace and not all wound up like a really tight spring. Resting is an act of the will that allows you to cease striving. We don't do that well in our culture at all. David says, guys, God is peace. He goes on, my hope comes from him. David says, God is hope. I mean, I don't know about you, but God is the only place where I have found hope that actually endures. The hope to believe that a human heart can actually change. I actually have hope that the situation in Pakistan is going to change and that my brother's heart is going to soften that we're going to move in, the, in a good direction. In fact, can I give you some encouraging news? Just in the last week or so, without being asked, Shabazz has actually made two installments of, what do you call that when you give stuff back? Restitution. There you go. Nobody asked him, but God's doing something in my brother. That has caused him to come to a place where what he took, he now wants to give back. It's just a small sign of hope that God is not done with this story. Can I tell you something else? God's not done with your story yet either. You're not done. You're not finished. God is faithful. Verse 6. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. David's saying God is dependable. People, not so much. But God is dependable. Maybe not in the way I expected. Maybe not with my timeline. Maybe not with an expectation of how quickly it was going to happen. Maybe not in the way that it was going to come back. But God says, I am dependable. In fact, he reinforces it by saying, he is my mighty rock, my refuge. David's saying God is a shelter. You know, the same God, David, who wrote this, also said this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they're safe. We find shelter in the shadow of his wings. He covers us when we find ourselves in the gap of disappointment. So David calls out to those of us who may be experiencing that, the weary and the disappointed. He calls out with more of who God is. Verse number eight, this is his instruction. Trust in him at all times, you people. He's saying God is trustworthy. Trust in him. Don't put your trust in people. I mean, you have to. 
at some level, trust another human being, right? But put your ultimate trust in God and in God alone. He's the only one that won't let you down. Trust in him at all times. When it's good, we trust in him. When it's shaky, we trust in him. When we have an answer, we trust in him. When we have no answer, we trust in him more. David says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. God is listening in that moment, isn't he? Verse number nine. Surely the lowborn are but a breath. The highborn are but a lie. I love this one. God is permanent. He's permanent. Even though everything else seems to be, seems to be in, in some way disposable. God is permanent. He doesn't shift. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. He is as stable as can possibly be. Even though we're like a breath, right? I mean, think about that just for a second. It's in. It's gone. That quickly, it just disappears. And yet through all of that, even though we're like a breath, in, out, gone, God is permanent. David goes on and says, if weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together, they are only a breath. David's reinforcing. Man is essentially nothing, which means God is everything. Make sure you write that one down. God is the breath of life. Even though we're a breath in, out, and gone, God is the breath of life that allows him to be everything and permanent. He's God of the highborn and God of the lowborn. He is God. Verse 10. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. You know what God is God's saying? God is enough. He's enough. So don't put your trust in all kinds of stuff, especially stuff that you take. Because that will slip through your fingers like sand. God has a problem with takers. If you don't believe me, read the Ten Commandments sometime. Thou shalt not commit adultery. God doesn't like people who take someone else's spouse. Thou shalt not steal. God has a problem with people who take someone else's divine inheritance. So don't trust in that. Yeah, last part of verse 10. Though your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. David's saying God is paramount. He's paramount. You shall have no other gods before me. That's another one of the commandments, which means this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your aim and purpose in life is to put God as the apex of your life. That everything else falls subservient underneath him and his unbelievable rule and reign in your life. Verse 11, one thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. I mean, there's, a, there's an obvious one, right? God is speaking. Every time I think God is speaking, my question is, am I listening? So are you listening today? What is God telling you? Is God telling you, don't get stuck in the disappointment gap. You expected this. Here was your reality. Don't get stuck in between those two points. Are you, what are you hearing? Are you hearing, you know, did you put your trust in people? Were you disappointed? Did that lead you to forget God? Did you take the disappointment you had in a person and you shifted it? Have you gotten stuck in unforgiveness and suspicion? God is listening as we're processing through this in our own minds. And then David goes on with this phrase. He says, power belongs to you, O God. Let's fill in that blank, right? God is powerful. 
Even when human weakness comes up short, God is powerful. In fact, I can tell you this. God is powerful enough to bridge the gap between his perfection and our reality. That's a pretty big gap, isn't it? God's powerful enough to choose not to be disappointed in our past failures, but instead to focus his power on redeeming and saving us. He goes on, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. Let's fill that one in. God is unfailing love. His love is unfailing. His love is unending. It's perpetual, insurmountable, undefeatable, unrestrainable, illogical, immovable, impenetrable, unshakable. And I ran out of words because I went to public school. Okay, so... But that is all of the things that God is. And as I run out of words, God, David continues. He's not done yet. He says, and you reward everyone. There's another one. God is rewarding. He rewards those who stay the course. He rewards those who are obedient to Galatians 6. When Paul pleads with us, don't grow weary in doing good. Just because you got disappointed by one, don't grow weary in doing good. That reward may not be in this lifetime, but I promise you it's coming. And then David concludes with these words, you reward everyone according to what they have done. So here's the divine balance of justice and grace, right? God is rewarding. He's also responsible. Let me remind you again of Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So I just laid it all out for you. A pretty disappointing story. What are you sowing in your heart right now, Christ the King? What are you sowing right now? Are you sowing anger? The Bible says the only thing you're going to reap if you sow anger is more anger. Are you sowing distrust? Never going to trust anybody again? That only reaps more distrust. Sow grace. I know it's hard. Choose to sow grace right now. It's okay to be disappointed. But sow the very grace into your own heart that God sowed into his when he looked at you and decided how he was going to deal with your eternity. Psalm 62 has been amazing this past couple of weeks. Instead of focusing on human disappointment, David lifts his eyes to the God who's able to fill the gap between expectation and reality. This is what I'm praying about the situation in Pakistan. I'm praying that we have a Peter ending, not a Judas ending. People often forget Peter and Judas sowed exactly the same seed. Betrayal. Both of them betrayed Christ. One ran away and lost his soul. The other repented. and God forgave him. And restored him. I don't know about you, but I'm praying that the story in Pakistan ends with a Peter ending. Can I get an amen? We're praying that he's a Peter ending. 
that our brother is restored. That we can find a way to continue the beautiful work that God is doing on the other side of the world. So this stuff is hard to talk about, but it's even harder to internalize. I guarantee you that every person in this room at some level has a gap in their life today, and you're just somewhat disappointed in somebody or something. Maybe you showed up today under protest because the truth is you're just disappointed in God. Because He didn't answer your prayer the way you wanted it, on the timeline that you wanted it, and so you came to the incorrect conclusion that He just simply doesn't care. I'll remind you, His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. And could it be that his weight on your prayer request is not punishment? Could it be it's protection? Could it be? So here's what we're going to do as a church right now. We're going to go to God and ask him to fill the gap between what our expectation was and what our reality is today. I'm going to ask you, if you have a gap of disappointment and you know what it is, believe me, you probably don't have to think very far about it right now. Or who is involved. I'm going to challenge you to bring the gap of disappointment to God. And allow him and ask him not to shrink it but to fill it. To fill it with himself. In doing that this is what's happening. You're not looking down at the circumstance. You're looking up at who God is. This is why we've been doing this for months. So that we can turn our eyes to who God is. Even though there may be disappointment everywhere around us. Well, we're looking up. So let's join together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed. I've got no idea what disappointment you may be dealing with today. But in a moment, I'd love to lead us in a time of corporate prayer. When we come back to God and say, Lord, we don't understand and we may be deeply disappointed. But we're asking you to fill the gap. So right now, I'd love for you, just in the quietness of your own heart, to confess out loud to God where you're disappointed. You're only telling Him something He already knows. So if you need to whisper a name, go ahead. If you need to share in the deepest part of your soul a situation where you're just disappointed, just take a moment and bring it and lay it down at the foot of the cross. And then we'll pray. Father, I confess to you, I was deeply disappointed when I heard about my brother in Pakistan. Father, I pray that you would help me to have the same grace for him that you've extended to me in my brokenness and sin. Father, I confess to you, I got bitter. I was frustrated. And I ask, Lord, would, today would you, would you remove that from my heart and replace it with peace mercy and grace. Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters in this room. 
Lord, whatever it is that they're disappointed in, I pray, God, that you wouldn't just shrink the gap. Help us not to fall victim to the lie that the answer is just to to lower the expectations. Lord, instead, God, would you fill the gap between expectation and reality because you're the only one that can. God, I pray that mercy and grace would flow out of us as it is flowed towards us from you and your cross. Lord Jesus, would you help us in our disappointment to take our eyes off of looking down and instead to lift our eyes to who God is. And so God, together today, as disappointed people, we declare God is peace. God is hope. God is stable. God is paramount. God is listening. God is joy. So Father, lift us out of this place. Fill the gap on our behalf. And we will give you glory as we walk lighter. As we walk forgiven. As we walk as those to whom grace has been applied. And now are ambassadors of that good message of reconciliation. We lift up our brother Shabazz to you. Lord, would you continue to soften his heart? Would you draw him back to yourself? God, we declare he is not a lost cause in Jesus' name. We declare over him a Peter ending to the story. We pray for restoration. We pray for reconciliation. We pray that hope would flood the story and that it would turn, God, back towards your cross. Lord, would you give us the strength to be released and be set free from this disappointment. May we focus on who God is and may that thrill our soul today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus who makes all good things possible. And all of God's grace-filled people agreed together and they said, Amen.